Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to John 3. That's where we're going to be, the beginning of the chapter. Uh, you can look it up on your phone. If you don't have it, uh, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. But I want to just kind of give you a snapshot into why we are even here uh, and why, why this building, why this church, why God has been doing what he's been doing. And uh, so a couple years ago, almost three years ago, uh, God called my family back from Bangkok, Thailand, where we were serving there, planning a church, uh, to be a part of LifePoint's efforts to plant a church in Murfreesboro. And so that's what we did. We came back two and a half, almost three years ago, planted a church on the other side of Murfreesboro, and, um, and, and we were meeting in a middle school, and every week, setting up, tearing down, setting up, tearing down, church in a box. And you're sitting around a lot of people that were involved in that, push, don't pull, like they're pushing carts, they're setting up coffee and then pipe and drape, and they're making this middle school not smell like a middle school, right? Like they're trying to work on it and make church happen uh, in a middle school. And so God uh, kind of put on our heart that that wasn't what we were called to do forever. And so we began to look for a place to do church permanently. Well, we, long story short, and I could really spend probably an hour, if we sat down and talked over coffee an hour telling you all the ways that God moved, but uh, long story short, we put an LOI, letter of intent on a building down memorial, and and that was on a, that was on a Thursday morning, and God just didn't give me a piece about it. And so I start texting the realtor I'd been working with. I was like, hey man, we've signed this LOI, but do you have any other buildings uh, that we could look at. He goes, yeah, I've got this food line down here on South Church, and it's for three million. <laughs> Have you got any other buildings? <laughs> so that wasn't gonna work, right? And so then I called uh, or text the uh, director of missions, the local Baptist association here. Kevin mentioned, I said, hey, Kevin, you got any churches want to revitalize, want to merge, uh, and, and be a part of what God is doing in our church? And he said, hey, I got a church for you. Again, long story short, uh, Riverdale Baptist Church had been meeting here. They, they, they've been meeting here since 88, a little bit before that in the high school, but had been meeting here since 88 in this facility. And God really married two congregations together at the beginning of this year in such a beautiful way. A, a younger congregation uh, saying, hey, we need a facility and we need wisdom and people in our lives that know the Bible and love Jesus and want to help foster and mentor and discipleship. And then Riverdale Baptist this church that said, man, we want a group of people that's going to help us reach our community and, and be vibrant and alive in this place and, and help reach the nations starting from here and going out. And God really merged us together at the beginning of this year. And so we kind of moved out of here and started, we, we graduated from middle school to high school and moved to Riverdale High School over here uh, and started doing, again, Church in a Box since April. And it's not until the past couple weeks and really community-wise, grand opening today, that we have been in our newly re model renovated facility and just praising the Lord for all his faithfulness and provision on us to get us to this point. And again, that is a long story. I just crammed into about 
four or five minutes, but I just wanted to get, let you in on what you're a part of today, that, that what you are stepping into is a work of the Lord, that he has been moving and working, I mean, in, in hearts, in families, in communities, in different churches, to really bring us together to, to experience him in a real and, and authentic way. And so that is kind of the heartbeat of church. And, and really, our, our heartbeat as LifePoint Riverdale is to continue to see churches and campuses planted all over our community and all over the world. Uh, LifePoint itself has five campuses. We have three local, two that meet in Smyrna, the Smyrna and Stewart's Creek campus, and, and then this one in, in Riverdale. And then we have two international, one in Bangkok, Bangkok, Thailand, which I told you about, and then one in Brussels, Belgium. And five campuses, but we're, we're continuing to say, all right, God, what are you doing in us? How are you moving in us? Are we going to plant another church, plant another campus? How, how are you working in us? And the reason that we have that heartbeat, especially because the, the mentality uh, that a lot of people that we've come up against when we plant churches, especially in Bible Belt South, is, well, we don't need another church. You know, we're down here in the Bible Belt. My argument to that is this. There are, in Middle Tennessee alone, 15% of the population goes to church on Sundays. 15%. Now, I, I talked last week about polls and statistics, and I said that 75 to 85% of our country says they're Christian. Well, if 85% of our country claims Christ and 15% is in church on Sunday, there is something not quite right. Here's the reality. Uh, our, one of the biggest lies that the enemy sells to us, especially in our culture, is this idea that if you are religious enough, you are right with God. That if you have this cultural Christianity that really hasn't produced any life change or heart change in you, but it's a checklist, it's boxes that you mark off. Yeah, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. We call you Christers, right? Like, so yeah, I go to church Christmas and Easter, and I, I'll, I'll give to this, and I'll, I'll do this and this and this, so God has to let me into heaven. Th this idea that our moral accomplishments are put on some kind of scale before God, and if we're decent human beings, we're decent citizens, and we raise our kids to be decent citizens, not dirty little pot smokers, and we'll get, just get this balance up. And God will be pleased with us. But that is far from the truth. And the reality is when you put us on with all of our righteousness and all the, all the things that we can swell up in our lives to do good, the scale is far still outweighed. You know, the scripture says that our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. But the enemy has sold this conceptual idea to us as Americans to say, hey, as long as you are, you know, a good person, haven't killed anybody, haven't stolen from any grandmas, haven't, then you're going to be okay. And that's a lie. That is not what it takes to be saved. And one of the things I want to deal with today, and the bottom line, we have a bottom line we send everybody home with every week. The, the one thought I want you to take out of this, and I've stolen it straight from Scripture, the, the, is this truth, that you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, being born again, which we'll dive into when we get into the scriptures, it's not meaning you got to keep a list of rules and regulations. That's not what I mean. But what, what the scripture means by born again is a whole nother idea. 
a, a whole nother thing. Not just good works, not, 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 not keeping a list of do's and don'ts that maybe you've been sold that that's what Christianity is, but that's not what it is. And that's what we're going to kind of dive into as we, as we get into the scriptures today. Now, I, I, we're going to be dealing with uh, Jesus' encounter with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was really, really, really religious, uh, and his culture was very religious, uh, very uh, moralistic. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at his life. Now, as a little, another example of where our culture is, um, I have to always check my heart to not be jaded towards our culture. After you spend uh, any significant amount of time in a different culture, you can come back and say, Nobody knows anything. I'm mad at everybody. Just angry missionaries. That's what we kind of label them as. And so we come back and we got to like, oh, we got to reshift culture. What's wrong? All these people. I don't know. Right. But uh, we had a buddy come from Vancouver, Canada, who spoke at our camp two years ago, I think. And uh, a couple days here in Bible Belt, Murfreesboro, Rutherford County. And then we would camp in East Tennessee, which is the same way. He said, I'm so thankful to be doing ministry in Vancouver, Canada. And I said, why? He goes, because everyone there, uh, if they're lost, they know they're lost. They don't pretend to be saved. You here, everyone here thinks they're saved. And probably most of them aren't. He said, man, just the, the, the trying to first convince people that they're sinners and in need of a Savior is a hard, hard work. And that's the hard work we're going to task ourselves with this morning. And we're going to see it in the story of Nicodemus, right? So let's dive in. Uh, chapter 3, I'm going to read the first couple of verses and then, and then stop. And uh, yeah, so chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. All right, let me stop. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was the religious elite of the day. Uh, it was a small group of individuals that not only kept the law you find in the scriptures, but, but they made up over 600 other laws that you had to follow in order to be right with God. And so this was a Pharisee, and he kept these rules, right? He owned them. He's like, yes, I own, I'm awesome at these rules. And that's what he was. But not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a part of the Sanhedrin as well, which was like basically a senate. This, this, uh, he had political authority. He, he was part of the judicial system. And so this is a very high-ranking uh, Jew, both uh, politically and religious, and probably to even be on that council, he would have had to be affluent. So he was this wealthy uh, individual that's coming to Jesus at night and inquiring him about uh, what Jesus has been teaching, what he's about. And so if this is if this is modern day, this would be like a, a, a pastor or a, a teacher, someone who's been in the church a long time, who, who's kept all the whatever, and, and just high-ranking individual. Now, I love Jesus for a lot of reasons, but one of the things I love about him is he's no respecter of persons. And by that I mean... The temptation for anybody, any man would say, if Nicodemus was coming to a pastor and today, right? If he was, hey, David, my name's Nicodemus. I want to come meet with you. All right, cool. The flesh would begin to say, all right, 
man, here's someone. He's high up. You know, as soon as I get his theology fixed, he's going to be awesome, right? He's high up. You know, he's, he's a wealthy guy. He, he's, he's got political clout. Like, dude, if we get this guy on our team, he, you know, he's going to have some influence, and he, he might be able to really reach some people. He's going to be an awesome, like, disciple, right? Uh, Jesus doesn't do that at all. He's not pandering because of his position. And he straight tells him some things that you're like, Jesus, do you even want this guy on your team? <laughs> like he's beginning to iron some things out. And so let's, let's look uh, three through eight. John three, three through eight says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said these things to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Okay, so here's this Nicodemus, the teacher of the law. He comes, and he, he's making his case to Jesus. He wants to find out what he's all about. He respects Jesus, calls him a rabbi. He, he thinks he's a teacher. You know, he's, he, he respects Jesus, and Jesus says, everything you've ever believed is wrong. It's not keeping the law. It's not keeping the rules. It's not being an Orthodox Jew and all your little ringlets and all taping the scriptures to your forehead and your arm. All that is pointless. What you need to be saved is to be born again. This, this would have thrown him. This would have thrown Nicodemus. He, he would have been like, what? Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, your religion is alive, but your soul is dead. See, you think it's by behavior modification that you enter the kingdom. I'm telling you, it's by radical transformation that you enter the kingdom of heaven. And here is a moment where religion meets regeneration. And Jesus says, your religion will not get you into heaven. You need God to, to give you new birth. You need God to give you a birth that is from above. Now, Nicodemus, you know, he'd have been thrown by this. He, he, he probably would have looked at Jesus kind of like Butch Jones looks at a football, real confused. And uh, <laughs> I'm a Tennessee fan, so I can say that, right? And, and so Nicodemus would have said, ho, 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 I got to be born again? And so he asked, he said, you mean I got to, how can a man when he is old go back into his mother's womb? She's not going to like that. <laughs> it was hard enough to get me out the first time, right? Like, he, he would have been real confused. And really, he's asking these questions of Jesus. And the, the really, he's not being super disrespectful, but essentially, he's saying to Jesus, you have lost your mind. He's asking questions to say, Jesus, you, are you serious? Born again? I, I don't understand that at all. Which is the case. Those without the Spirit do not understand the things of the Spirit, which we'll see next week, too, as he's talking to Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus is kind of looking at him all kind of ways, really confused by what Jesus is talking about here. And, and he just kind of thinks it's silly. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be born again. You have to be born from uh, above. And so this is probably, not probably, this is the crux of 
how we are saved. We are not saved by our merit. We are not saved by our good works. We are only saved by God and by God alone, by him coming and making us a new creation, by him saving us and drawing us from dead hearts and giving us life. And so he's saying, your good works will count for nothing. Your religious laws that you've kept will gain you nothing before God. You need a change of your heart. You need to be born again. And, and Jesus says, there's only one way that can happen, and that is, that is through God. And then Jesus says, unless one is born of water and spirit, he can't be born again. What Jesus is referencing here is a passage in Ezekiel 36 that I want to read to you real quick. Now, this is uh, Ezekiel, and he's prophesying. Uh, he's, he's speaking message peace for the Lord uh, on behalf of what God is going to do through Jesus. Okay, so And I want you, as I'm reading this, to notice how many times that the Lord says, I will. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Pay attention to that. All right, so let's read. This is Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and and all of the idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and, and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, a couple of things here. Ezekiel is prophesying essentially what, how Jesus is going to save men and women. He, he's prophesying how we might be saved. And, and essentially what he's saying is you, you, those who are born of water and spirit. So the way in which you are saved is twofold. One, you need a cleansing. Essentially, you have a sin problem. We all do. We were all born with sin. We came into this world sinners. I, I say this all the time, and uh, new moms always get mad at me. You, we, we have a newborn baby, and he comes out of the womb, and you're like, oh, she's so perfect. No, she's not. She's a dirty little sinner. <laughs> and you're like, she's so perfect until you got to change that diaper, and you're like, what happened here? Right? Like, this is a result of the fall or something, right? And, and so, uh, but we are all born into sin, It was the curse that was put upon us from the very first people that God created. But from that line, Adam and Eve, we have all been born into sin. And so we are born sinners. You don't, you don't sin, uh, you don't have, you sin because you are a sinner, right? That's who you are. That's who your nature is. You were born. And the scripture uses all kinds of things to describe you that, that I want to clue you into. Listen to the, to the eight terms. I got eight here in which uh, this is how the scripture describes us, right? Morally evil, slaves to sin, blinded to the truth, hearts of stone, enemies of God, children of wrath, Love the darkness rather than the light. Spiritually dead in our sins. Well, that's a real warm list, isn't it? So here the scriptures describes us as all of these things before Christ. How in our minds do we think we can ever be good enough to escape being morally evil? 
How in the world, if we are blinded to the truth, do we think we're just going to begin to be able to see? If we work hard enough, if we study hard enough, if we go to church enough, we're, we're, we're going to figure it out and we're going to begin to see. How do we think that we're going to escape the wrath of God? It says we're children of wrath. And here, here we are, all of our lives, all the sins that we were born into in nature and all the sins that we've accumulated with our action have developed and earned a wrath that God has waited to pour out on us. And, and if we go to heaven without Jesus covering, we take all of that ourselves. How do we escape that in our own power? And the scripture says you are dead. All right, if we all travel out of here and we go to the nearest graveyard and we speak over the tombstones and we say, all right, everybody, time to wake up. Let's go. Get up. I know you've been there a long time, but nay, it's time to get up. Wake up. Get up from the dead. What's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing. I'm reminded of the story in the scriptures when Jesus is on his way to Lazarus. If you know, if you're familiar with the Bible story of, of Lazarus, Lazarus dies, right? And he's in the tomb for four days when Jesus gets there, right? And eventually Jesus is going to say, come from the dead. But can you imagine those three or four days before Jesus gets there? You know, his sisters, Mary and Martha, they may have said, Lazarus, I wish you weren't dead. Come back to us. Lazarus does nothing. He's dead. Lazarus, would you just give yourself CPR or, or pump your chest real hard or, or something and just come, come back to us? Nothing. But when Jesus gets there, he stands before the tomb and he says, Lazarus, wake up. You know what he did? He got up. And you know what's funny about that whole situation is, uh, you know, Lazarus didn't argue with Jesus. He didn't say, no, Jesus, I'm good. I'm just going to stay dead. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He got up. And he starts walking out. And he's ripping himself off of the, the, the garb that was put on him. And he starts walking out of the grave. Because Jesus said, wake up. He said, come to life. Now, church, this is what God has to do for you to be saved. You can pound your own chest all you want. You can work real hard and try to be good and, and try to accumulate all these church activities. But at the end of the day, none of those things will in, give you entrance into heaven. None of them. There will be plenty. There will be millions and millions of good, decent human beings that burn for eternity in hell. Because being good is not what it takes to get to heaven. Being good. Matter of fact, if you, if you think through the scriptures, Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick, the broken, those who realize they need me, those who realize they are sinners, dead in sin. Those who realize that the only way to heaven is by having a change of spirit, being born again. And the only one who can do it is God. He's the only one who can save. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let me explain how this works. He says, you must be born again. We, the, the way that we, in which we are born again is we have faith and belief upon Jesus and his work on the cross. That he took our sins upon himself and he replaced our sin with his righteousness. So when we die and we stand before the Father, we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus that he earned and that he lived and not our own. And we are covered by the blood that he sacrificed on the cross. And so that God looks at us and he says, you can come in. Why? Because because I see the perfect blood of Jesus on you. And you're righteous because of that. He doesn't say, you can come in because you are good church people. He doesn't. You can come in because you, you, you are a decent human being. You raised your kids to not, you know, be murderers. or, or you, you did a good job. Come on in. He's not going to say that. That's not how you get to heaven. Now, hear me. I know there are a lot of you. You come from all kinds of backgrounds. My, my, uh, I would assume that there are a lot of people in here uh, that come from very religious backgrounds. And that you have been indoctrinated in your head all your life that if, as long as you walk the straight and narrow line, that you'll just make this bargain with God that you are a decent person and he'll let you into heaven. I, I preached last week, though, on, on remember the story where they come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do this in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not all these good things? And Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. He said, away from me, I never knew you. The only way we're going to be regenerated is by God's work in our heart and, and in our life. It's not possible for us to gain salvation a, apart from God. Now, there's two ways to look at this. Some of you may be looking at it and say, uh, oh, no. So you're telling me that I can't be. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I figured it out. It's not because I was born in America. It's, it's not because, uh, you know, I went to this school. Or it's not because I, had, I was raised in a Christian home. You're telling me it's not because of my good works. I'm going to gain entrance into heaven. That's exactly what I'm telling you. And there are going to be plenty, plenty of people that line up in those check boxes that will not go to heaven. Because the reality is this. And, and there may be a lot of you like, oh, no, you, it's not my choice. It's not, my, not, not me willing. Like, like, because the reality is this. Like, every religion that uh, is in our culture and world today, every one of them, uh, is, is, has a list of do's and don'ts with it. If you line up Islam, if you look at, if you look at uh, Islam, you've you got to wash this many times. You've got to pray five times a day. You've got to clean up. You've got to do this. You've got you to uh, uh, do all these lists of things in hopes that your creator will look down on you with favor. Line them up. Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, uh, Judaism, even uh, Christianity, Catholicism, and, and, and even branches of Protestantism. You line them up, and it's a works-based salvation that if you do, 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 do these things, we'll let you into heaven. And that is false and far from the Bible. So what's the good news? The good news is this. God has mercy and grace to save sinners. God has mercy and grace to save sinners. You can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. 
And God still looks down on us and saves. Now, what this does for us is it says, oh, praise be to God. Because no matter how you came in here today, no, no, matter, no matter what your standing is with religion, no matter what your socioeconomic class, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your upbringing or background or language, it doesn't matter. However you brought, were brought in here today, you sit among equals because we were all born in the same condition, dead, sinners, all of us. So we all come in on the same footing. And the only difference is, is that God will save some of us, draw him into us himself, cause us to be born again by putting his Holy Spirit, regenerating our heart, drawing us to himself and saving us. See, a lot of people try to do this uh, transformation outside in, right? Like, all right, I'm going to keep the rules. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. And then I'll be made right with God. But that's not how it works. Matter of fact, if you keep trying to do the works like that, you won't measure up. The only way you can stand right before God is for him to change your heart, and that will produce fruit in you. That will help you to walk like Jesus walked. That will give you the power to to live your life as Jesus lived his life. Otherwise, if you're trying to manufacture that, you're just going to get frustrated. You're just going to get tired. Maybe you've been a part of this religion thing for a long time, and you say, I can't even understand. These Christians go around, they talk about the joy they have. They talk about the peace they have. They talk about all of these, the life that they have, and I just don't get that. I just don't, I don't feel that. I don't understand that. Every time I try to do this Christian thing, I just get to this wall of frustration that I'm not going to measure up and I can't keep up and God will never be pleased with me because I keep rattling around with these same sins and these same things in my life. I would plead with you that maybe you're trying to do all those things and manufacture all those things, but you're not coming from a heart that's been born again. That you haven't, maybe you prayed a prayer when you were seven and you thought that was the extent of your relationship with God, but the reality is if he has not come into your heart and life, cleaned you, regenerated your heart, brought you to himself, you're just trying to work real hard and it's going to end very badly. The only way to be saved is to be born again. New life. You know, we're about to baptize some folks right over here. And what baptism is, it's an outward symbol of an inward reality. What it's symbolizing is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But it's also symbolizing that we were dead in our sins, so we died with Christ on the cross. And he raised us to walk in newness of life. We were dead, and he brought us to life. We were blind, and he caused us to see. We had the wrath of God set towards us, and he took it upon himself on the cross. We were children of wrath. We were sinners, and he made us saints. The only way to be saved is for him to save you. So if you've come in here and you're working real hard, it's not going to work for you. And, and hear me, and hear my heart, there is no one who escapes the reality that we could have been lying to ourselves. I want to read to you, uh, not read to you, I want to tell you a story. Um, 
there's a bishop named John Taylor Smith. He was like a general in the, in the British Army. And anyway, he's preaching in this huge cathedral, lots of people there. Uh, and there's a rector, uh, like a leader of the seminary kind of thing, sitting on his right. And there's an archdeacon sitting on his left. And there's an archdeacon sitting on his right. And he's preaching this message. And he's preaching this text, that ye must be born again. This little, and, and this is, put yourself in the setting. It's like this Anglican setting. There's these guys up here. They're in probably all in robes, which uh, I'm never going to wear up here, right? So there's a guys up in robes and he's preaching this message and and he's like and he says you must be born again he says you could be a member of this church and and yet if you're not born again you will not see the kingdom of heaven and he says you can even get to the religious standing of my friend this this rector that you you could get to this level of clergymen and come to the end of your life and not enter the kingdom of heaven because you were never born again he says and my friend the archdeacon right here you could you could with your outward works and that the man can only can't really see the heart they can only see the outside and so all your works and good deeds you can get to some kind of religious level where you're the archdeacon but miss the kingdom of heaven because you were not born again or you could even be like me bishop the pastor you can get to this level because you've got everyone fooled but if you not are not born again you will not get into the kingdom of heaven you must be born again a couple weeks later the bishop gets a letter from the archdeacon and he says this my dear bishop you have found me out I have been a clergyman for over 30 years, but I have never known anything of the joy that Christians speak of. I could never understand it. But when you pointed at me and said that a person could be an archdeacon and not be born again, I understood what the trouble was. I understood that I had not been born again. My question to you, church, is are you born again? Has God saved you? You may be very religious, but religion will not save. You can be very pious, but piety will not save. You can be a good model American, but nationalism will not save. There's only one way to be saved, and that's for God to save you. And so you cry out to God, God, save us. God, save me. It's only he that can save. Only he can rescue you from your sin, even your sin of piety. Be saved. That's the most important question that we can all answer today is, have you been born again? Let's take a moment and pray together. Father, my prayer is uh, just what we sang in the first song today is may our faith be more than anthems, greater than the song we sing. God, I know there are hearts in here um, that they are really okay with their cultural Christianity and they've really not come to any kind of burden or conviction on the fact that they stand opposed to a new birth. 
I pray, Father, that the lesson of Nicodemus would cause us to say, religion is not good enough. A list of do's and don'ts will not gain entrance into heaven. For we have to be born by the Spirit. We have to believe upon the work of Jesus. That you and your great sovereignty has to regenerate our heart and give us the gift of faith and repentance. And so, Father, my prayer is that you would save sinners just as you did for me. Would you save sinners, God? And Father, I I pray that no heart escapes without examining itself to see if we have to answer the most important question, are we born again? I pray, Father, that you would help us to continue to come alive in Christ. That we would not just play the church game. Or we would not just come here so that the church can maybe fix our children. But Father, would you give us new birth. Save some men in this room, God. Save some women in this room, God. Father, maybe they've been relying upon other means that hasn't been a a trust and a faith in you. I pray you would just bring that to light. And you would open our eyes and hearts to see that you are the only way to be saved. You are the only one who can save. We love you. We praise your name. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.